We're going to bring you on to our huddle. Jordan, we're going to huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy, producer Marcus. What's up, Deb Nation? And with us, our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? Boys, I am excited to announce. In fact, this is the exact guest that we need right now rejoining us after far too long, the Golden State B-Rider for the Barian News Group, the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, and a man so damn important, he got Joe Lacob to spend a game in the cheap seats with him, Mr. Wes Goldberg. What's going on, Wes? Not much. Thanks for having me. It's been too long. Yeah, no, I uh, I appreciate you not only joining us, but sitting through our, I don't know, handful of technological problems. I promise that we're going to call you on Skype. We call you on the phone and you immediately hit us with a condescending. So this isn't Skype, right? So you're already on fire. Man. I just <laughs> want to tell you, you're already the funniest person on this show. I was waiting for you to be like, hey, can you run down to Circuit City and grab a, uh, a landline? Because that would have been the next step. But luckily, we didn't have to do that. Is that cool? Actually, we, we're actually going to use land-based internet uh, today. This is—it's a throwback show, Wes. It is what it is. But Wes, that's a pretty bold move. I just learned that when you call somebody on Skype, like we did, it shows up as a blocked number, and you came like you knew it was us, but it really did. It might not have been. Oh, I could have been on any podcast at this point. Who knows? <laughs> Do you like to start off each one of your podcast appearances with a F- "you"? This is a Skype question, or is it only us who gets that type of vitriol? I, I reserve that for you guys, of course. We, we love you, and it's not just because of that. So I, you heard me say it in the intro, man. I'm not only excited to have you, we need you, and here's why. I have been, I don't know, overforcing my uh, my supposed knowledge of the Warriors during this offseason. Anyone who will listen, I'll tell them that it, you know, it's only a matter of time before the Warriors are right back in the title hunt, and it's not just because the Splash Brothers are returning, but because the Warriors have all these assets, and we're talking about a top-five pick and the mid-level exception, and one of the things I throw out constantly is the traded player exception, the TPE. But between us three, boys, I don't know what the hell the TPE is. I know that it came back in the Andre Iguodala trade. I understand that it allows them to add talent. But if I was really going to tell you what it is and who they can get with it, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But I can tell you that Wes has written four or five straight articles highlighting not only what the TPE is, but what we can do with it. So we finally have an expert here who can come in and, and, I don't know, sift me through my own ignorance, kind of like cliff notes. Yeah. So Wes, we're really going to be leaning on you today. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, look, the, the TPE isn't that complicated. They have $17.2 million sort of reserved to absorb any sort of salary that fits within that amount of money through, from any player in the league. They can acquire just one player with it, right? So you can't break it up and take one player at $10 million and another player at $7 million. You can only take one player with it so if that player costs 10 million dollars then the the other 7.2 million dollars just they go away never to be seen again um so that's the first part the second part is that they can't combine that you can't stack it with another salary let's use like kavon looney's salary because it's a nice round five million dollars you can't take that do whatever 17 plus five is and then be able to acquire a player that makes that sort of salary right so you can only use it to acquire one player under that salary period end of story so essentially, with this TPE, they can bring in extra talent, $17 million worth of extra talent. Exactly. And what, what's interesting for the, the other, like the trade partner, is that they don't really have to hit that, that threshold as far as you, you use the word bracket. There's like a percentage basis of how much the salaries have to match. The other team just has to have it 
like the other team that the Warriors are trading with, whatever player they're sending just has to be at $17.2 million or less. So they don't have to match salary. So it's a really easy way for other teams to basically get off of salary without taking any salary back, which was already extremely valuable. But that becomes even more valuable this offseason with all of the revenue loss that's happening. So if the Warriors want to use that $17 million to the fullest extent, that has now become an even more valuable tool because there's going to be a lot more teams now probably looking to get off of some money. So the Warriors could be sort of their knight in shining armor. Are the Warriors still that knight? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you a little thing behind the scenes. Marcus and I are both season ticket holders. In fact, we split a package with some other people. The reason I bring that up, Wes, is that he and I were just texting this last week about the Warriors hitting us up for a payment. They, they literally are making the season ticket holders drop money for a season that probably won't have any fans in the seats. I bring that up to you because the, the, I assume they're doing that because they're in financial straits. Last year hurt them. They built a mega arena that they couldn't use through 90% of the year. So after that, after they didn't make the money that we thought they were going to, are we still guaranteed as fans? Can we still count on these guys bringing in the full $17 million? Or that it's going to be a basketball decision on the TPE, not a financial decision when they ultimately make it? It's going to be a little bit of both. Um, I, Bob Myers in his exit interviews was asked this question. He basically said he wants to use the full extent of the TPE or whatever player you know warrants that. Um, but he's going to have to sell it to Joe Lakeup and, those, and this ownership group. And uh, I think you can kind of flash back to a few years ago when they tried to get – or you know, a couple years ago when they tried to get DeMarcus Cousins – or when they did get DeMarcus Cousins – DeMarcus Cousins became available. They were not going to use the mid-level exception. And then Boogie says, you know what? I want to play for you. And then Bob Myers goes to Joe Lakeup. He's like, hey, I know we weren't like stoked on using the MLE because we wanted to pay less in, in you know luxury taxes. But it's DeMarcus Cousins. We've got to give this a shot. And then Joe Lakeup being uh, you know, the guy he is wanting to get as many stars as possible set, signed off on it. said, okay, let's do that. So like, if the Warriors... If Bob Myers is is canvassing the league for trade exception targets, I don't know that he like he's gonna have to bring somebody that's pretty compelling to Joe Lakeup in order to say this this is worth the money. This 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 increases our chances of either making the playoffs or getting through the playoffs, getting to the conference finals, the NBA finals. If he could show that to Joe Lakeup and it's just not using it just to use it, then I think they will end up using the the TPE to his fullest, to, to the fullest extent. I want to kind of recreate that dynamic here in a second. What I mean is I'm going to put Marcus, Maxime, and I in the Joe Lacob place. I'm going to make you Bob Myers. I'm going to okay. have you pitch us on three players. All right? I want to hear the three people you think we might be able to add to the team. But before we do, Marcus, Maxime, I need your guys' take. It's a social question, um, and I need an opinion. I've been thinking about it for over a week. So a little bit of background. Wes, as you know, I love Wes, and he and I have, have been uh, building a friendship, and just this last week, we finally were able, and, and socially distanced, and we were remarkably careful about it, but we were able to go out and grab something to eat. In fact, it was the culmination of like a two-week plan, um, and, and he came out, and it was great, but here's the part I'm a little embarrassed by. After Wes was already out here, after we went to the restaurant, another friend, and they got along fine, but another friend who I knew was going to be coming met us there, and I didn't really give Wes a heads up. Kind of kind of side-blowed him a little bit with a friend he didn't expect. So, Marcus, let me ask you. Asshole move? They got along, dude. They got along, but was it an asshole move to invite someone and not let him know he was rolling? 
Uh, definitely. Did you tell the other friend that Wes was going to be there? I think we both know the answer to that. I think you, I think you're just making me <laughs> look bad. Okay, I'll answer your stupid question. So everybody was in on it except for Wes. I think that's your answer right there. No, it's the other way, unfortunately. The only person who was in on it was me. He was also kind of surprised. But again, they got along, and Wes is a really socially capable guy. Like, I knew for sure he would be able to handle it. Uh, so it sounds like you're saying thumbs down on that move. Yeah, thumbs down for sure. Sorry, Wes. <laughs> Wes, how did it affect you? Give give us a real world take. Like, did, were you upset? Did you not have any fun with? Where did that land? Did you hate no, me no, when no. you showed up? No, 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 not at all. So there's there's a couple of things <laughs> that that could have went wrong that didn't go wrong. For, so first of all, the thing that went right was that the other person you had invited was a cool person. We got along, like you said. So it was it was there's no it was no sweat, right? Like it was just easy. It was comfortable. No problem. The issue is when it, it becomes like. Oh, by the way, um, my girlfriend's showing up, uh, or whatever, <laughs> or, or like, hey, like, I really didn't want to hang out with this guy alone, but I figured since we're hanging out, I could just sort of check the box here. So, is it cool if he tags along? Like, those are the situations where you're definitely an asshole. But in this situation, where it was two people that you actually wanted to hang out with, who you thought would get along, I don't see the problem with it. And you gave right. me, you gave me a warning. Granted, the warning was like six minutes before the guy showed up, but I did have a warning. So that it was, was six minutes. Okay, I appreciate you saying that. Maxime, let me give you one more fact, uh, then we'll get your take and right back to the Warriors. Really, it got a little bit awkward only because of this. So we went to a restaurant, man, but the restaurant closed way earlier than I thought. Way earlier than I thought, Maxime. So we walked back to my house. I invited both of them to the backyard, and within the first, I don't know, five minutes in their relationship, I went inside because my wife punked me, and I had to go talk to her. So I trapped two people who didn't know each other at all in a backyard and forced them to talk. What do you think? Asshole move? Yeah, that's a pretty asshole move. <laughs> you were doing just fine up until then. You should have let me sneak in before you gave me that piece of information because that takes it to another level. That'd be pretty uncomfortable. You just don't. It doesn't matter how much rapport you have with the other person. That's going to be uncomfortable. What do you talk about? Oh, what no, did I, you I, talk I, about? I, I'm, I I'm trying to remember. I think I asked. Yeah, we, it was definitely basketball related. I think I, I, think I brought up Dwayne Wade. Knowing me. <laughs> Shocking. And Marriott's as many times as you could. All right. Well, that in tow, I'm, I'm now sweating profusely, as you guys can imagine. In fact, I have a surprise guest joining this podcast I forgot to tell you guys about. He'll be here in five. Just joking. Back to the TPE. So here's how we're handling it, boys. Wes, you give us the name first. Don't give us the elevator pitch. All three of us will give you a quick take. Are we interested? Then sell them. Then we'll see uh, where we ultimately land. Who's your first name? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna two birds this thing, and I'm gonna give you a name that I'm actually interested in, and a name that um, conveniently was the person I wrote about this week. So shameless plug. But Kelly Olynyk, the Miami Heat center. Um, I said you told me just to name the name, so go ahead. Yep. Yeah, Kelly Olynyk, yeah, Miami. Center. I'll All stop right, right there. I like the you've got my interest immediately. Kind of a tough dude. He can shoot the three, gives us a little bit of length. Not the kind of sexy name I'm super fired up about, but you've got my attention. Marcus, where are you at? Uh, I just at West, it has to be a heat player. I just I, I should have expected that from you, but <laughs> um I I don't it's not sexy enough for me. I mean, Kelly's a good good player and a solid player and can shoot the three and and is a good stretch big, but I have my eyes on other players, so I wouldn't do it. I agree, MT, especially considering that it's at the five. I think then the word sexy becomes more of an issue. I think that there are potentially better centers out there for less money. Show us why we are stupid and wrong and why you do this for a living, Wes. What would that move look like, and why should we consider it? 
Well, first of all, Kelly Linick has a player option going into next season. I'm assuming he's going to pick that up. It's for uh, a little bit more than $12 million. So good money for him, comfortably below the, the TPE threshold. So it works for both sides. Um, I think just from the Heat's perspective, he's going to be available, I think. And that's the number one thing uh, when we talk about the TPE. Guys actually have to be available. So quick aside, I keep hearing names like Marcus Smart, uh, Kelly Oubre, Josh Richardson, like these numbers that are, or these names that are thrown out there, these dudes are not going to be available. I don't know why Warriors fans think they're going to get Marcus Smart. Like that to me is insane. Like why the Celtics would trade Marcus Smart. It's assuming a lot of things. Uh, Josh Richardson, same thing. Like why would the Sixers trying to make the NBA finals take a step back just to save $10 million on Josh Richardson? Like the, the argument is, well, you would trade a top five pick in the TPE for Josh Richardson. The Philadelphia 76ers would have to pay that top five pick what they're paying Josh Richardson and get a substantially worse player. So just scratch that out. That's not happening. Um, like These are the options that are just thrown out there that are sexy, sure, but are completely unrealistic. And so I'm just not even talking about those guys. So a guy like Olenek, who the Heat have motivations to get off of because they have quite a few free agents that they want to retain this summer. They're probably not going to have the money to do that, but if they're able to move Olenek's $12 million into somebody else's cap space, or in this instance, their TPE, except the, the, the trade player exception, then they're going to create almost $40 million in cap room to retain basically three free agents that they want to keep. So that makes sense for them. So he's available. For the Warriors, we know Steve Kerr is looking for a stretch five. We know that. He tried to do it with Amari Spellman. He tried to make him a, he tried to turn him into a from a four into a five. It sort of worked, small sample size, but then they had to trade him. Uh, and they tried to do it with Dragon Bender at the end of the year, and that didn't work. So we know he's looking for this. And Olenek is one of the best three-point shooting bigs in the league. He would be easily, it's not even close, the best three-point shooting big Steve Kerr has ever had with the Warriors. I mean, he likes to talk about like what most spates did years ago, but that's all that's been sort of like revisionist history a little bit like he was some sort of prolific three-point shooter he shot less than one three-point attempt per game he was mostly a mid-range guy like Olenek would be a legit floor spacer for this team plus he's a great passer uh really good like high level ball skills smart player not as bad defensively as as his reputation is but he is a bad rebounder so I think it works the problem with him is that he makes 12 million dollars a year and the Warriors historically have not paid centers that much money. I don't know how much of a difference that makes with just given the fact that they'd be acquiring him with an exception as opposed to paying him, you know, some sort of free agency type money. But uh, that to me would be the issue is that you're paying a center a lot more money who's not going to be playing 30 minutes a game for you. What I like, so the thing that spoke to me the most about your pitch is where you began it. So if, if what I really have to do is come to terms with the type of player we can bring in and the Josh Richardson's and the Marcus Smart's of the world aren't necessarily on the table, then people like Kelly Olynyk becomes a lot more sexy for me. What I like about I like the size he adds. I like that he adds a headband, although I'm not sure you're still wearing the headband, but we don't have enough headband players, so that's a fairly, uh, a fairly upside. And I remember him being tough on the big stage. I don't remember which player it was whom he hurt during the playoffs. Kevin when Love. The, there you go. When the world turned on him, he didn't fold, and I like that. I also... One of the people I'm hoping that we can add is Mark Gasol. One of the downsides of Mark Gasol is he's a 16-game player, not an 82. We can't you know, assume he's going to be starting and playing more than 25 minutes a night. So Kelly Olenek could help kind of hedge that um, and give some more minutes to the center spot. So I don't know, B, you know, like I'm not – if they announce tomorrow that Olenek was a warrior, I'm not doing backflips. It's not Kevin Durant day again, but I'm happy enough about it, you know? Yeah, and look, I think – 
Marcus Saul is the obvious target, and the thing with Olenek, if you can go get Marcus Saul or a Serge Ibaka, I think that those guys the they provide enough three point shooting and enough rim protection, even though they probably don't or they certainly don't provide the ball handling that Olenek does from the five. Uh, but they they you know they make up for it in other ways. But if you can get them at the mid level exception, I think that's a lot more value per dollar than Olenek is at what he's making. And we're talking about an opportunity cost. And I, I still ultimately think, and I'm not trying to talk my, my my own pitch down here, but I guess I'm going to. I think that the TPE is best used on a wing player, a guy who could play a, a few different positions, um, you know, as opposed to a guy who could really only play the five in Olenek because you can five the, find those guys. Like if it's beyond Gasol and Abaka, I still think you can go get a guy like Mason Plumley at a, a portion of the mid-level who would be really valuable. Just a traditional center, really good passer, not the stretch five that Olenek is, but maybe you can find that elsewhere. Um, so I think Olenek would be an option, but probably an option if other options sort of don't work out. Marcus, you are now Joe Lacob. You, you just heard the pitch from Bobby Myers. Would you give him the money to go get Kelly Olenek? Um, not to start off the kind of our search I mean, I was just looking it up and, you know, his defense isn't as bad. He's kind of middle of the pack, according mm-hmm. to the stats from last season. He does rank one spot higher than Jay Crowder, um, also the Heat. And, you know, you kind of look at Jay Crowder as a good 3 and D type of player. So um, I agree with West that he's a good fit for the Warriors. But I also agree that I think I'd rather look to the wing spot and position to try to fill that first rather than um, a player that can only play um, one position. So now first strings a little tight, a little tight with Marcus, you know, don't worry about that. Wes, he's kind of cheap. dude. I, I bet you this next player is definitely going to get him. Give me, uh, give me another name. Uh, let's go with Rudy Gay. So this is another realistic outcome for the Warriors. Um, a veteran. He's going to be, I think 34 by the time next season starts, but That's with how many that, years he's been in the league. That is how he has been in the league for, I think, longer than that somehow. <laughs> and uh, uh, he he's at this point of his career, definitely a four, not a three, maybe even a little bit of a five. The Spurs used him at center a little bit. So he provides some rim protection, which I think is desperately needed ever since Kevin Durant left. You know, you want if you're pairing, if you're if you're giving somebody uh, if you're going to pair Draymond Green in the front court with somebody that somebody needs to provide some level of rim protection. Rudy Gay does that. He's also a knockdown shooter from the corners. He could do stuff with the ball in his hands. But like Gasol, like these other guys, probably a 16-game player, not an 82-game player. But that's right. what we're playing for, right? That is ultimately what the Warriors are trying to do. I think you could have Rudy Gay in there. And ultimately, he is maybe the guy who gets this new version of the death lineup to click into place. A lineup of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, who's more of a three, more of a backcourt player, more of a perimeter defender. Rudy Gay at the four, Draymond Green at the five. You have a lot of size there. You have a lot of experience there. You have a lot of spacing and shooting there. Uh, that's a really intriguing lineup to me. I'm always worried about any player who might be older than me. So Rudy Gay's name at least throws up the old flag. But I will say I like that he can score. I like that he's familiar with Pop's system because he, he played in San Antonio, meaning he probably is already at least somewhat familiar with Kerr's. And I like that he doesn't have a ring. 
You know, like the, these guys who we got to add during the title runs, people like D West, you know, guys who came in towards the tail end of their career and were able to reignite the fire um, for one or two last seasons. I like those ideas and Rudy Gay fits that mold. Worried about his injury history? Dude has a lot of problems. I know that as a fantasy basketball owner, but I like the idea. Wes, uh, you'd have my attention for sure. MT, what do you think? Yeah, I'm worried about his injury history too. Um, I, I like him as a player. I wanted him to join the Warriors before he joined the Spurs. I think his contributions and his time spent with Team USA were underappreciated. Um, and I think that's a bonus for being on the team with a lot of stars here in the Warriors. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I would want. I would rather go after him with the mid-level and hope he bites after that than use the TPE on him. Um, I just I'm worried about his injury history, and he's definitely lost a step. You know, he he ruptured his Achilles, and that's always a tough one to come back from. Um, that's essentially what you know KD is doing. So. Um, it just makes me a little hesitant. I like him better than Olenek, I think, to the point earlier. He fits multiple positions, which I like. Um, but I'm still a little gun-shy just based on injury history. Wes, this is for you. I'm going to flip the power dynamic. So whatever it is he says, you can say, no, that's a terrible idea. Marcus, do you have a suggestion? Who would you like them to go after for the uh, the TB? Yeah, I, I like Aaron Gordon. I think he's an OB Toppin with a better jump shot. Um, super athletic. He's from the Bay Area. So he's a hometown kid. Um, he has fun when he's playing. I think he would fit in with kind of the joy that the Splash Brothers bring. Um, and I think Steve Kerr could get a lot out of him. So um, I don't know if he's available. I think that litmus test that um, Wes talked about of if a player is available is important. Like a lot of people are like, oh, we'll go get John Collins. And it's like Atlanta's never getting rid of John Collins. So I think they should just get over that. Um, but I think Aaron Gordon is available. There's a lot of rumors about that, you know, because they have Isaac and Bamba there. So there's a bit of a log jam in Busevich. So um, I'd like to see them go after Aaron Gordon. I think he'd be a nice fit. Young so, talent, sexy name, uh, but, you know, he has a little bit of problem from the perimeter. But I, I didn't mean to step on your toes. Wes, uh, go get him. What do you think? So Aaron Gordon was a guy that made a lot of sense to me. And Marcus, I thought he would be available, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And he was one of my favorite uh, potential targets. And I think he would be a slam dunk for like, that's the name Bram to do backflips yeah. over. Right. If they get, Aaron he's Gordon, a local he, kid too. Right. He'd be played yeah. uh, at MIDI out here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I think he's from San Jose. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, he would obviously love to play for the Warriors. I don't think that there's any doubt about that. And he would be able to leave the magic, which is also a bonus, but um, I, I got, he's developed as a three point shooter. He's one of the best, quietly, one of the best passing big men in the league, which fits, obviously, within Steve Kerr's offense, uh, does provide a lot of rim protection. He provides a ton of athleticism and a huge body, which the Warriors desperately need. Um, that's a no-brainer. And getting the idea, like, the idea of getting Aaron Gordon is particularly exciting because I don't, like, you're not going to take, you're not going to put him on the bench. You're not going to put Draymond on the bench. And you're not going to bring Andrew Wiggins off the bench. So what happens? Now we're talking about a starting lineup of Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Aaron Gordon, and Draymond Green. That's a crazy starting lineup. Like that is like Houston Rockets on steroids that we're talking about there. Like that is going to be a lot of fun next year, which would be a welcome experience after this boring ass season that Warriors fans had to slog through. So, so a lot of reasons to want that to be excited about. 
I just don't see the Magic trading Aaron Gordon to the to the Warriors for a top five pick and a TPE. So that's the other thing is you can combine draft picks with the trade a player exception, and that's what it would take. The Warriors go into the lottery on August twentieth. They end up with a top five pick. They package that with with the TPE and say, Hey, Orlando, here you go. Why on earth would the Magic ever do that? It just doesn't make sense. Maybe Aaron Gordon is available. We heard rumors that them and Indiana had talks about swapping Miles Turner, another target that I've heard, Miles Turner and Aaron Gordon. That that would make sense for Orlando because they're getting an established player who can help right now. They want to be in the playoffs desperately. They don't want to take a step back whatsoever. They don't have the best track record of drafting, and they know that too. I think they want a proven player for a proven player. Uh, Aaron Gordon might be available, and this is the point I often make. He might be available. I just don't know that he's available for what the Warriors can give up, like what the Warriors have to give up. And with that in mind, I and I, I, I know people that cover the Magic, people around the team. I went to UCF, go Knights, so I know that pretty well. Uh, they all say that there's no way in hell that the Magic would trade Aaron Gordon, a player who they have put a lot of work into and is makes them better despite the logjam in the front court. For a top five pick who is a complete unknown in a draft that nobody really likes in the first place. That's why I didn't include Aaron Gordon on my list is just because there's no way. How about Miles Turner? Um, I mean, that was thrown in as just kind of a sidelight to your explanation, but he fits a lot of the things we were talking about. He's playing for a team that may have to start back over after they're kicked out of the bubble in Indiana. He it, um, adds a lot of size, is a shot-blocking machine at the five, and has recently expanded his shot beyond the three-point line. Um, he's got some injury concerns, but he's a fairly frontline player. Is that somebody the Warriors could go after with the TP? It's sort of the same logic with Aaron Gordon. I'll throw DeMontis Sabonis in there, too. I get this asked yeah. all the time. Like, should the Warriors go after? Because they, the Pacers have a problem with Sabonis and Turner. Like, those guys don't work together. They're going to have to trade one of them. They're not going to trade them for a top five pick. I could argue that they should. And I could argue the same thing with Orlando. Like, you should go get a top five pick. Those are very rare uh, assets. Go get that. Go add top-level talent. But the Pacers and the Magic are these mid-tier market teams that can't afford to take that step back. They pride themselves on being perennial playoff teams. Like, the Magic are happy that they're the eighth seed every year. Like, they're good with that, right? Like, the Pacers are cool with just being the fourth or fifth seed in the East every year. Like, they're that's chill. And so, to take a very like a, an obvious step back in trading a good player in Miles Turner for an unknown in the top five who could or could not work out... Um, is too much. Uh, there's too much variability there. I think for them, again, I talk to people who cover the Pacers. They don't think that there's any way. I thought about T.J. Warren from Indiana because that to me makes a lot of sense. You could argue who's their best player at parts of this season. He might not be a long-term fit. He doesn't have a very high uh, high ceiling. He kind of is what he is. But they're not willing to take that step back for what will ultimately be a top five pick. Um, I just. Like I said, you could argue that they should. I, it just doesn't sound like they're going to. And the same thing applies with Miles Turner. If you're going to trade him, if you're going to break up the Sabonis-Turner front court, then you could do that and go get a good player, who that, like a proven, a proven player. You don't have to do that for a draft pick. So this is the exact danger that I was hoping to avoid. You know, talking about players that we really want but they can't get. It's like test driving a Tesla when you have the budget for a Prius. So. Right. If these guys are not on our list and we are really just pie in the sky hoping, let's put that to the side. Give me one more player who they could actually get. So I I wanted to find some sort of stretch goal, right? Like a pie in the sky type of player. Um, I don't know that this player is available, but you could make a really if, – if certain things happen, he could become available. 
Joe Ingles from the Utah Jazz. Oh, let's go. Yeah. He's 32 years old, so he doesn't super fit the that age range you want, but he's a he's like a young 32. Like he came into the league at 27 years old, doesn't have a ton of miles. Um, and he does everything you want. I know for a fact the Warriors have had internal discussions about him, and they're not sure that he's available. But they like that he just signed an extension that fits within the TPE, so that's good. He can handle the ball. He can play the three and the four, guard several different positions. He can shoot. Uh, he's just he's like this glue. He's a great glue guy. He, there's a reason that Utah loves him, right? He makes all of their lineups work. Now, he won't be available tomorrow, but. What happens this summer between the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert dynamic? Sure. What happens with Mike Conley? Are they sure that they're that he's the guy that's going to work with Donovan Mitchell in that backcourt? There's some things in Utah that could go haywire, and suddenly they enter not a rebuild mode, but a retool mode a little bit. And if they look at Ingles and are like, well, he's 32, whatever. We've got um, uh, Bogdanovich here. We've got some wings that we like because they are deep in wings. They're a little bit younger. If we're gonna re- if we're gonna sort of reconstitute this thing around Donovan Mitchell's window and not Rudy Gobert's window, maybe we want to take a step back and get younger. And you know what would help? A top five draft pick that we have no plans on ever getting ourselves because we're the Utah Jazz and we're basically the Indiana Pacers of the West. We're just going to be the fourth or fifth or sixth seed every year. So. Uh, maybe they view this as an opportunity to go get that. The Warriors would have to probably give their top five pick away in addition to the TPE, but they could probably make it a pick swap with Utah, whatever their pick, like in the 20s or whatever, so they're not falling out of the first round completely. Might be a, a heavy price if you're the Warriors. I wouldn't do it if you have one of the, the top three or four picks, but if you're sitting there at five and maybe the player you want isn't available or whatever, I don't know. It's an option is what I'm throwing out there. What do you guys think? I love Joe Ingles as a name. Um, I, I like his game. I like what he's going to bring to the locker room, taking those in turn. He's actually a tougher defender than you would think. He's got a hell of an outside shot, um, and it doesn't seem like anything bothers him. I Recently, or maybe not recently, perhaps like a year and a half ago, I remember he had some random-ass quote that said, look, I look like I'm balding. I don't even have a one-pack but bottom line is, if you wanted to play me, I would probably beat your ass. Just talking to random fans, I like that as well. <laughs> so what he could bring to the floor, I love. Giving up the top five pick for him, that. So I understand what this draft is, Wes. You know, like I, I get it, and I get that there's nothing but question marks. I also just love the idea of a top three pick. And for this, let's assume they get the three pick. Would I give up the three pick in the TPE? I don't think I would, even though I think it would help them more next year. Uh, Maxime, Marcus, what do you guys think? Do you like Joe, and would you give up the draft pick for him? Yeah, I, I don't know. The The draft pick makes it definitely more complicated. I see your point, but I also, you know, we have a potentially high draft pick coming from us from Minnesota the following year in a much, much more enticing draft class. The idea of swapping kind of makes that a little bit more palatable. The other thing I just wanted to throw out is dude is super consistent. He plays almost 82 games every year, uh, obviously this year being a notable exception uh, league-wide. But I think that that says a lot when we're talking about a guy that's already into his 30s. I think he's going to be pretty robust, and I think he'd be a great addition coming off the bench. Maxime, would you would you then, instead of the top five pick, right? Because we know this is going to be a top five pick, guaranteed, right? Instead of this year's pick, would you swap Minnesota's pick coming over? Because we don't know where that's going to land. We know it's top three protected. 
but we have no idea how good the Timberwolves would be. Would you rather? Would you be more comfortable swapping next year's first round pick, despite it being a better draft class, but not knowing how good it's going to be? No, no. I, I, you know, I'm no draft expert, and I'm not doing a really good job of following college specifically um, up until the season ended here. But especially with how little we know about the guys that aren't even playing in college right now, there's just so much unknown about this class. I'm really trusting the the general gut feel from the marketplace that this class is particularly awful i'm coveting next year's pick way more and that's what we're supposed to say right wes i mean like just as people who are have been paying attention at least slightly to college basketball and to what the draft is going to be isn't the idea that not this year but next year's draft is going to be crazy loaded and just filled with superstars yeah but for just a thought exercise if i offered you a trade just a straight up swap minnesota's 2021 pick top three protected or this year's guaranteed top five pick, there's a legit argument to make either way. Like it's not well, like as just as far as two assets go, I I don't know that next year's draft pick is substantially better or at all better than this year's draft pick. Just because we know where it's going to fall this year, we know that there's going to be useful players coming out of this draft. We know that you just got to find them. You got to do the work. And you got to develop them appropriately. Uh, next year's draft is still like yeah, it's going to be loaded. But we don't know where that pick is going to fall. And so I think if you just took those two assets in a vacuum, I don't know which one's more valuable. But Wes, I mean, I think we've litigated this before to a certain extent. I mean, who's Minnesota jumping? I feel like D'Angelo Russell and Cat are an amazing pair to get them, uh, you know, maybe into 12th in the Western Conference. And that's like a pretty sweet spot for what for what that would convert to potentially for a, for a draft pick. You know, I just there's the West is completely loaded. That's not going to change next year. In fact, that's going to get more complicated because the Warriors are going to be back. Yeah, the and that's thing the, that makes me, no. I mean, but that, the question is like the, the the Timberwolves are going to be in the lottery. This is going to be a lottery pick. But we know that it can't fall into the, like if if they are so bad that they end up going into the top three. Well, then the Warriors don't get the pick. And then if they are. So I and then they could be good enough if Carl Anthony Towns progresses, if D'Angelo Russell and that partnership works, they're going to have a damn good offense. There's other guys like Josh Okogi, Jarrett Culver, Jarrett Culver, like good wing defenders who can who can help that defense. I don't know, like we might be talking like about the 12th or 13th or 14th pick in next year's better draft versus a top five pick yeah. in this year's. Uh, There's worst a saying. There's a saying for this, Wes. One in the hand, two in the bush, right? I mean, so what you're saying is you already know if we're comparing the Warriors draft pick this year versus the asset that Minnesota's pick occupies next year, the one thing that this year has over next year is certainty. We know for absolute certain it's going to be a top five pick. We have no idea what the pick is going to be next year. There's a lot of indications. It could be fairly crappy. In fact, it could be crappy enough to be top three. But again, what you're saying is if it hits that, the Warriors don't touch it. So there's at least arguments for why you should consider this draft pick. MT, what do you think about Joe Ingles? Um, and, and before you give me your response, let me throw this in. What I would like from the Warriors is a definitive approach. Are they trying to brace for Steph's window closing so that they need assets like a top five pick and what that might become in five years? Or are they trying to do everything they can right now before that window closes? In which case, someone like Joe Ingles would be a lot more valuable over the next two years uh, than Anthony Edwards, right? But what do you think, man? Would would you make the move uh, for, for Joe? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot to unpack there with all that. I, I ultimately would not want to sign Ingles. Um, I think his lack of athleticism scares me off enough. Um, 
I, I think it fits the Spurs role to a T and, you know, like he would be good inside of Kerr's system, but I just, I, I miss the athleticism with him. Um, and, you know, I just, he's not a sexy enough pick for me. I think he's a great shooter and, you know, he's, he's said before that he thinks he's the best shooter in the league and would stack that up against Clay. So that would be fun. But Joe, after the game, you kind of joked a little bit about, you know, when you said you feel like you're the best shooter in the league. Do you really no, feel am. like you are? Yeah. I mean, I, I, why, why would not? I've, numbers I've shot, percentages are, are obviously they are what they are and people are going to dissect everything. But I honestly feel like, I mean, even those first three that I got, I feel like they're all going to go in when I shoot the ball and, um, when I feel like it's my shot within the flow of our offense and um, getting it in rhythm, I feel like I should make every one of them. Um, ultimately, I just, I don't, I think if you're going to go after somebody like that, um, I would go after like Robert Covington. I know Houston, Houston probably would not <laughs> want to trade him to the Warriors, but um, they're trying to, you know, get under some of their salary constraints right now. And, I think he's a much more athletic and better kind of three and D type of player. If you're going to go that, that route with it. Um, and I, I also, I wouldn't trade the pick for next year. I mean, the next year's draft is going to be so just different, you know, like you have the select team kind of, you know, the first year of that factoring in. So who knows how those players will be better, you know, suited to making a, a quicker impact. Maybe they won't, but, you know, like you have like Jonathan Kuminga reclassifying and joining and, you know, like there are some some athletic studs that are going to be playing and getting that NBA experience. So, you know, if the Timberwolves will suck. I agree with Maxine that I don't think they get higher than a 12th seed. Um, so it's likely we they may get a top three pick and it will be protected. But, um, you know, the Warriors homer in me just wants to say they'll get the fourth pick and it'll convert to us and we'll have a, you know, a a great pick to and a valuable asset so i would hold on to it and i i just i don't know something about angles just I, I just maybe it's just his game in my personal opinion i just don't like it as a as a warrior for the minnesota thing you know that i i think there's a phenomenal chance they're going to be burger next year i think that that front office looked down and saw carl anthony towns remarkably unhappy and saw two possibilities at making him happy winning or bringing in a friend and then they brought in D'Angelo Russell. You think they brought him in because they thought D'Angelo Russell was going to shower that franchise with wins or because there was a giant background of friendship between the two of them and the GM saved his goddamn job and brought in a friend to pacify Carl uh, Anthony Towns. We'll see where it goes. But before we move off this TPE subject, Wes, I've got to ask you about Robert Covington because when Marcus said that, you made a noise as if somebody snuck into your apartment and farted terribly. So I, that, it sounds like you are out on Robert Covington or what? I was always out on Robert Covington. There was a point in the season where we were like, trade D'Angelo Russell for Robert Covington. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell are we doing with this? Uh, first of all, everybody thinks that Robert Covington is a 3 and D player that would fit perfectly with the Warriors. False. Not true. He is a 3 and D player who can't dribble. He can he he can't pass the ball. He's an overrated defender. There's a reason like everybody thinks he can guard like verse like he's some sort of versatile defender that he could get and pick up guards in the backcourt and stuff. He was routinely um, he was routinely beaten in the Eastern Conference playoffs when he was the Sixers by other guards. He can't stay in front of them. That's why Houston plays him at center half the time now. Okay? He stands in the – yeah, he's a 3 and D player who can stand in the corner and make corner threes all day long. 
When do the Warriors stick guys in the corner and let them shoot threes? Never. They have these guys worrying, moving around all the time, uh, you know, drive and kick, pass, shoot, all these things. Covington does none of that. You want the ball in his hands for the least amount of time as possible, okay? I like Robert Covington as a player. I hate his fit like for the Warriors. <laughs> I hate his fit for the Warriors. Um, he's a perfect fit for Houston. Give me Joe Ingles every day of the week for Golden State over Robert Covington. Robert Covington would be the worst fit for Golden State. And Marcus, just so that you feel better about it and to be completely transparent, the friend who I invited to that restaurant was, in fact, Robert Covington. So they, they <laughs> it, it's a weird kind of, you know, there's a lot of animosity there, man. They just met. It turned ugly. I left him in the backyard. So don't blame Wes. It's, it's not on him at all, at all. Uh, okay, boys. Um, a lot of names there. A lot of people to consider, I guess. I guess I'm now hoping for Aaron Gordon, but the Kelly Olynyk thing is working its way into my mind. Although if I'm being totally honest, the thing I enjoyed the most was the F Robert Covington uh, back and forth. But before I let you guys go, talk about burying the league. The bubble is open. Scrimmages have already happened. We are less than a week from real basketball being played. Wes, let me turn this to you. Are you excited? Are you weirded out? How are you feeling about professional sports uh, being back in our lives? I actually had no idea how I was going to feel, like what my reaction was going to be to having sports on the TV. I am almost self-conscious to the like how excited I am about sports being back. I am watching these dumb scrimmages uh, so much, but... <laughs> They're incredible, and the and the players are taking them really seriously, which was, to me, my biggest concern going into this bubble is that a lot of play, some players would be taking it seriously, some wouldn't. Every game that I've watched, I mean, I've had Rockets, Raptors on the entire time we've been recording. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, so uh, and off the landline or whatever, Skype, I think we're on. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's you're also been, watching like five different movies. You're on a separate cup podcast too right now. That's great. dude. I'm, I'm glad we got a hundred percent of your attention. That's fantastic. Uh, the, the, the attention to detail I, with that, the, the NBA put on like the, the, the screens that they've got going, it's really cool. It's an interesting atmosphere. It's an incredible story that they're able to do it. Um, the fact that there have been so little positive tests is definitely reassuring, right? Um, so you're not really like, I don't feel like these people are at risk. It does feel like they're taking the necessary precautions, even though we know that they're at risk, but it just doesn't feel as dangerous as I thought it would feel going into it. It's, um, I've, I've been watching baseball too. I've been watching everything. I will say so, uh, and I'll work backwards because I got a little distracted. I've been talking about the bubble for the last few weeks about the chances that they're taking about how ridiculous it is that they were willing to do this and that they should be concerned about the long-term effects. I stick with that last point. The long-term effects, we still know nothing about. But the first two, and whether or not they should be playing this, I now get the feeling that the bubble might be the safest place on Earth to be. That the, the amount of testing that's happening, the the um, control, at least the seeming control of the people who are coming in and out of there, is probably safer than any of the restaurants I've come in to you know, pick up food or right. any of the supermarkets I've gone into. So it looks like they've handled that part. As far as basketball, oh, my God, I'm so happy. So – I tried to watch the basketball tournament. I don't know if you guys watched that at all, that thing where there was, um, you know, the, the most famous player was Joe Johnson, but it was all ex-college guys and random people playing for a pot of a million dollars. And it was hoop, you know, and it, and it was basketball to be watched on TV. But when I got to watch eight seconds of highlights, 
from one of those scrimmages, I immediately realized how much I missed the NBA, how the NBA packages this product, how much money they spend just on the floor and the lights behind it. And then the talent is so unbelievable. So yes, I am fired up to have it back in my life. Uh, MT, where are you at? Um, it's, it's a little surreal for me. I mean, I think with the, so many states still struggling with um, increases in cases and you know, it just dominates the headlines. It's it feels a little weird to take your attention away and go play a, a sport in a game. Um, but after that point, kind of goes away. I'm just excited. Like I feel like it's one of the f- the first things that lends itself back to being normal, quote unquote. Um, and even though watching the games and having no fans and you know just the energy. You know, that seems like it's in Orlando is so different than a regular season game. Um, It still feels a lot better than I thought it would. And I'm like you, like they're probably in the safest place, you know, in the country right now. So I'd love to just be a player and go in the bubble so I could stop wiping down all my groceries every four minutes. (laughs) The um, it being back almost underlines how different everything is. You know, so I see it on television and I'm excited and I immediately feel a small sense of normalcy. But then you pay attention a little bit closer and there's nobody in the stands and the people in the huddles can't sit next to each other. You watch the professional baseball and there's there's fucking cutouts behind it. And Mm -hmm. so at the same time, while the professional sports has kind of like a reassuring blanket feel to it. It also is an immediate and stark reminder of how things are not normal and are still a little bit weird. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't know, it's it's two sides to the coin, I guess. There is. And uh, that was sort of the moral dilemma that I was having, whether or not sports should come back or not, kind of in the lead up to this thing. I kind of lambasted the NBA for bringing 22 teams in there instead of 16 and just like the obvious money grab that it was. And I, you know, I stand by that. But at the, at the end of the day, the NBA as an organization has a job, and that job is to put on basketball games and and finish seasons and just do that. Like their job isn't to cure the coronavirus, right? Their job isn't even really of necessarily like a moral. Like they don't have to deal with the moral ambiguity of whether or not they should do their jobs or not. Like you're you're still doing your job. I'm still doing my job. The restaurants that you talked about that are dirtier than this NBA bubble are still doing their jobs. Like we have obligations that we have to fulfill professionally, personally, and everything despite the coronavirus pandemic. And the NBA is just another, it's another business just like the restaurant down the street that you and I went to, Bram. Like they, they have to make money. That's their, that's what they have to do. And if you could do that in a way that is checked off by health officials and all these things, then you sort of have this obligation to go ahead and do it. And they they did it in a way also that allowed players to opt out. And it is so much more of a value to be able to opt out of something than to than to not be able to, to do that at all. Like opt-outs are always better than opt-ins, right? Or or whatever. So you you the fact that they were able to put this together, and you're right, it is basketball, but it is so far from normal. This whole argument of it distracting from the pandemic or the Black Lives Matter movement and all these things is just so far from the truth because there is a giant Black Lives Matters thing painted on the court. Not that's not going to solve all of our problems, but between that and everybody wearing masks and standing six feet apart on the bench and all these things, like there is this constant reminder that this is happening, but this is happening in America as it is right now. And there's a lot of stuff going on outside of this bubble. And baseball has done the same thing. 
Um, the MLS has done the same thing as far as bringing attention to that. And I actually think it could serve for the good as far as, hey, here's a thing that will make this quarantine a little less sucky so you don't have to go out to bars, so you don't have to be going out and spreading this virus elsewhere. Yeah. You could just sit on your couch and watch basketball from noon till nine at night or whatever time it's going to end. And that could help limit the coronavirus and also bring awareness to some of these other things to, you know, we're, we live in California, a very progressive state. We understand that Black Lives Matter. A lot of people in the middle of the country might not agree with that. And to have these players sort of speaking out about it and have this thing that they like uh, putting words to it while they're sitting on their couch and might not be exposed to it the same level that we are because they don't live in such a diverse place could also be beneficial. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, I'll say as a random aside, we spent at least three episodes on this show arguing back and forth, pontificating, thinking about what would happen with the back of those jerseys. And I kept using LeBron James's uh, jersey as my go-to example. It turns out we found out what he's going to have on the back of his jersey. It's just his last name, James. So it turns out after we fought about this forever, the players didn't find it to be the giant social opportunity uh, that we thought it to be. Maxime, we haven't heard your take. You excited to have who back? Yeah, oh, I'm stoked. I think it it is going to be weird at first, but I think ultimately it, you know, there was this collective thing that happened when we jumped into the shelter in place where I was suddenly getting on calls with people all over the world and they were in the same position that I was. And there was a feeling of camaraderie that made me feel a little bit better in this really scary time. And I think that's not, it's not going to go away. We're never going to come to a place where we actually think that the NBA is is like normal times. But I think it's going to feel good to have this collective energy of we're all going through this thing together on top of everything that Wes is saying. I'm just, and of course, I'm excited to actually watch games. I'm excited. Somebody pointed out that there's not going to be any motion behind the hoop, which means that it's that much more likely that the hot shooters are going to go on hot streaks. I think we're going to see some unbelievable basketball, maybe some of the best basketball that we would ever get to see in this bubble situation not to mention all the storylines around it of all these players that don't even have to interact with reporters and just kind of get to live their lives and then you get to like Matisse Thibel blogs and these really interesting behind the scenes it's a microcosm of all sorts of engaging stuff it's just the best case scenario for me as a fan I cannot wait yeah I can't wait either um gentlemen phenomenal place to stop hopefully we're gonna have real hoop to talk about when we return But most importantly, Wes, you were awesome. You're always awesome. I'm not the only one thinking it. For everybody out there who needs some more Wes Goldberg and their life and they know they can't reach you on Skype, where should they go? (laughs) Uh, Twitter, at WC Goldberg. Instagram, at WC Goldberg. Read stuff at themercurynews.com, where I'm helping on the news desk a little bit, too, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, which I don't know if you are. Um, But, uh, yeah, the TPE series will keep going um, through at least the rest of the month, and then we'll see. We'd like you to do one on Robert Covington and the perfect fit he has with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, for us, you know where to hit us. You want to let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job, shoot us an email, warriorshuddle at gmail.com or on Twitter, at warriorshuddle. Uh, with that in mind, we love you guys. Go Golden State, and we will see you, hopefully, next week. Good, good.